At first, it was just one sheep per day. But as the deadly dragon grew more powerful, he demanded more and more. Soon it was the people of Silene themselves, so intense was his insatiable hunger, his desperate desire for more and more. Until, until one day a courageous knight named George agrees to confront the dragon. After a long and bloody battle, George finally defeats the cruel beast, saves the princess, and rescues the town. With what weapon did George slay the dragon? A spear? A lance? A sword? Maybe, just maybe, the dragon was slain by love. Welcome to Slain by Love, your weekly sermon podcast from the pulpit of St. George's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. The Gospel of the Lord. Give me understanding and I shall keep your law. I shall keep it with all my heart. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Y'all be seated and good morning. morning. Once upon a time, once upon a time, there was a small, quaint village in England called Highbury, or if you, you could say Highbury, right? Once upon a time, there was a small, quaint village in English called Highbury in England, and there, there was a beautiful young woman named Emma. Now, Emma was one of the leading ladies of the town, and she had many strengths, many strengths. In so many ways, she was a nice girl, a nice young woman. She loved, in particular, to act as a matchmaker in Highbury, introducing her friends to the various eligible bachelors around the town, and in many, many ways, It's true, Emma was well-intentioned, but like all of us, she was not perfect. Like all of us, she was far from perfect. One of her faults in particular is that she was a bit pretentious. Pretentious, and if we're honest, a little bit vain. Only problem is that no one in the village had the courage. No one in the village had the courage to confront Emma on her faults, no one, that is, except her friend, Mr. Knightley. Now, by now, many of you realize that I am, yes, indeed, talking about that novel of Jane Austen called Emma. Writing about that novel, critic Peter Lightheart says this, quote, perhaps the most Christian novel Emma uh, Austen wrote, perhaps the most Christian novel Austen wrote, Emma is concerned with the relationship between charity and truth. It is about speaking the truth in love, or more precisely, about truth speaking, truth telling as a pathway to love. Everyone else around Emma flatters her, admires her, generally regards her as the perfect specimen of womanhood. Only Mr. Knightley sees her as the flawed young woman that she is, and only he tells her so, very often in blunt terms. Mr. Knightley is the right man for Emma precisely because he speaks the truth, close quote. One day, 
when Emma was out on an outing with some of her friends, she says something uh, particularly mean to Miss Bates, the town spinster. Emma insults Miss Bates, making fun of her in front of several people. And at that point, Mr. Knightley does something remarkable. He confronts Emma after the event. Peter Lightheart says that Knightley's confrontation is one of the most deeply right speeches in English literature. Here is what Knightley says to Emma. Quote, Emma, how could you be so unfeeling to Ms. Bates? How could you be so insolent to a woman of her age and situation? I'd not thought it possible. Were she prosperous or a woman equal to you in situation, that would be one thing, but she is poor even more now than when she was born. And should she live to be an old lady, she will sink further still. Her situation being below yours in every respect should secure your compassion. Badly done, Emma, badly done. Humiliating her, laughing at her in front of other people that would be guided by your treatment of her. It is not pleasant for me to tell you these things, but I must tell you the truth while I can, proving myself to be your friend by the most faithful counsel. Now, friends, what is going on there? Mr. Knightley is confronting Emma out of love. He's confronting her out of love. In fact, he's the only one in the village who loves Emma enough to confront her, who loves her enough to actually tell her the truth. Now, today we come to Matthew 18, this passage in which Jesus instructs his disciples on how to live together, how to live together in the world, this teaching about the relationships within the Jesus community, the Jesus family, within the church. If a member, Jesus says, if a member of the church sins against you, go and point it out when the two of you are alone, Matthew 18, 15. Jesus continues, if that doesn't work, grab two or three folks and try confronting them again. And if that doesn't work, well, now it's time to get the church involved. Hmm, what are we to make of this? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen one of those self-cleaning ovens? Perhaps you might even have one in your house. It might not surprise you to hear me say that I've never thought very much at all about self-cleaning ovens or any other kitchen appliances for that matter. But I do admit that I've always been a little skeptical that those self-cleaning ovens can actually work and clean themselves. I've always been skeptical until this past week when I watched a two minute and 54 second YouTube video from the GE Appliances channel, lo and behold, self-cleaning ovens are in fact a thing, and believe you me, they do actually work. If you follow the steps correctly, your self-cleaning oven can, in fact, clean itself. Hmm. Now, self-cleaning ovens are one thing, but did you know that there are also self-cleaning animals? See, I've never considered myself to be a cat person. I've always been a dog person. But there is one objectively clear sense in which cats are superior to dogs. What is it? 
Like those ovens, cats are self-cleaning. Thanks be to God slash evolution, they are equipped with those bumpy tongues which, with which they can lick their fur and give themselves a self-generated bath anytime they need it. I love dogs, but they can't clean themselves. They're not self-cleaning, and if I'm honest, they do kind of stink. Not cats, however. They are perpetually clean. They are able to clean themselves. I can think of another self-cleaning organism in addition to cats. You know what it is. It's called marriage. If you are a married person today, guess what? You are part of an organism that is self-cleaning, which is why Paul in Ephesians 5, St. Paul calls spouses to wash one another with the cleansing of the word, Ephesians 5. So do you see, dear friends, you've got self-cleaning appliances like ovens, self-cleaning organisms like cats, self-cleaning entities slash communities like marriage. But let's take it one step further. As good as self-cleaning is, you know what's even better? Self-healing. Like the immune system, the immune system of the human body, thanks be to God slash evolution, our bodies have immune systems that naturally and automatically overcome viruses and affections that heal scrapes and bruises, immune systems that allow our bodies to heal themselves. You know what Jesus is saying in Matthew 18? He's saying that the church is like that. The church is a self-cleaning organism. The church is a self-healing community. Question, though. How does it work? Question, though. What is the dynamic? What is the specific dynamic of this self-healing, this mutual cleansing that happens within this community? See, those self-cleaning ovens, they have a specific apparatus that performs the self-cleaning. Same with the cats, right? That bumpy tongue that allows them to, 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 to clean themselves, that is the specific feature that allows them to do that. For our bodies, the specific feature is the immune system. But what about the church? What's the specific dynamic that allows the church to experience healing? Very simply, it is called love. The love that St. Paul extols and praises this morning, owe no one anything, we heard Francis read a moment ago, owe no one anything except love for one another, for the one who loves fulfills the law, Romans 13, 8. Jesus Christ looks at us this morning and he says, you are in need of a deep clean. You, in fact, are sick and in need of healing. Do you want to be healthy, Jesus asks. Do you want to be clean? You must have people in your lives who are willing to tell you the truth, just like Mr. Knightley with Emma. You must, Jesus says, you must be in a community where the members are willing to speak the truth 
in love. Notice, speaking the truth in love. How different is this culture, this culture that Jesus is describing within the Jesus community? How different is this culture from the cultures that we, that we experience out there in the world? For example, the culture that Jesus describing, is describing here is very different from, from the culture of politeness and niceness. I used to live in East Texas where folks are nice and polite. We wouldn't really want to ruffle any feathers, would we now? Honey, there's really no need to rock the boat. After all, things might get awkward. It might be embarrassing. Can't we just sweep it under the rug? But imagine if Mr. Knightley had just swept it under the rug with Emma. He would have missed an opportunity, a huge opportunity. He would have missed an opportunity to turn Emma into a little Christ, like we talked about here last Sunday, to bring about self-healing within his community, the healing and cleaning of a true friend. And every time you or I see a brother or sister in need, a brother and sister sinning, a, a brother and sister who's confused in some way, misusing their words, misusing their hands, misusing their eyes, every time we see that and say nothing, we miss an opportunity, an opportunity to turn someone into a little Christ. I wonder what things we at St. George's are tempted to sweep under the rug. It's so tempting. As we approach the season of stewardship, I can think of something that's super tempting, super tempting to sweep under the rug. It is the fact that based on solid evidence and research, this church has an income level that is significantly higher than average for the Episcopal Church, but the giving level is substantially lower. Now that's tempting to want to sweep under the rug. But remember that phrase by Peter Lightheart, truth-telling as the pathway to love. The question is how much do we love each other? How much do we love this church, its history, its mission, its vocation, its identity, its future. It is so tempting to sweep things under the rug, so tempting to opt for polite culture. Dear friends, the God of truth-telling love calls us to a much better way. But guess what? As alluring as polite culture is, guess what? There's a second culture, an equal and opposite culture, that's just every bit as foreign to the culture of the Jesus community. It's not polite culture. You know what it is? It's cancel culture. This idea that if you slip up once, you're out, canceled, over and done with. No grace, no gentleness, no love. Truth at all costs, period, paragraph. That, too, is not the culture of the Jesus 
community. If your brother sins, Jesus says, confront him or her, confront them alone and in private. Verse 15, why? Because it preserves their dignity. It gives them a chance to repent or perhaps maybe to clear up a misunderstanding because how many of our problems are actually the result of miscommunication? A lot. This could not be more different from the cancel culture that's plaguing our society. So friends, let me ask you, who do you have in your life who can speak the truth in love to you? Who do you have in your life to whom you can speak the truth in love? In other words, who do you love enough to be honest with? To quote G.K. Chesterton, love is not blind. That's the last thing it is. Love is bound. You see, the the epistle lesson this morning from Romans is about love. And G.K. Chesterton says that love is not blind. That's the last thing it is. Love is bound. And the more it is bound, the less it is blind. This kind of love, the kind of love that speaks the truth in love, it leads to health. It leads to cleanliness and health. It did in Emma's life. By the end of that story, she realizes there's only one person she could possibly marry. Only one person she loves enough to be their wife. That one is Mr. Knightley, the only one who loves her enough to speak the truth in love. Friends, earlier I mentioned the cross. The cross which to which Jesus was fastened and, yes, bound, bound. One last question to leave you with this morning. What is it that kept Jesus bound to the cross? He could have come down. He was tempted to come down. That temptation must have been infinitely stronger than any temptation you and I have ever experienced. So what was it? What was it that kept him bound, bound to the cross? We find the answer in Hebrews 12, 2, and it's the same point I've been stressing throughout this sermon, Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. For the joy set before him. Friends, what is this joy? Well, what was Mr. Knightley's joy? It was Emma. Emma for whom he longed with a love too deep for words. At one point, he looks at Emma and says, friends do not doubt, they hope. See, Mr. Knightley was very clear-eyed about Emma's faults. He saw her warts and all, her arrogance, her pretensions, her unkindness, but he saw something deeper. He saw her true beauty. He saw her true glory. He saw her true self. When he looked at Emma, he saw his joy. And it's the same with Christ and you. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Hebrews 12, 2. What is this joy? This joy that kept him bound to the cross, dear friends, it's you. It's me. He sees us, warts and all, But he does not doubt you. Instead, 
He hopes. He sees your true beauty, your true glory, your true self, and he binds himself to you by binding himself to the cross. He bound himself to us. Why? Because love is not blind. The one thing it is is bound. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thanks for joining us at the pulpit of St. George's Austin, where the love of God in Christ slays our enemies, our fears, our guilt, our worries. How are they slain? Only by love. Special thanks to the good folks of St. George's and especially to that masterful media guru, Liam Dolan Henderson. See you next week. Peace and be well.